life, but the sword doesn't have the ability to truly change a life. A pen, on the other hand, put in the wrong hands can sign a death warrant and therefore destroy a life. But you put the pen in the right hands and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God, that pen has the power to change lives. It has the power to change history. How do you know, Bill? Well, today we are going to embark on a study of what is perhaps the greatest book in the Bible. Now, that's a big statement, isn't it? Because they're all big. While the four Gospels give us the words and the works of Jesus Christ, the book of Romans tells us why those words and why those works are so incredibly important. Many great people have made and left their mark on history because of how the book of Romans changed their lives. Augustine was once a man who lived a pathetically immoral life. But in 386 AD, he read the book of Romans, and when he got towards the end in Romans 13, he read these words, Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife or in envy, but put on, say put on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. When Augustine got to Romans chapter 13, something changed in that man. His life was never the same. In the year 1515, Martin Luther went from a man of torment, struggling with depression, to a man of great faith because of the book of Romans. John Bunyan in 1653, John Wesley in 1738, Karl Barth in 1918 were never the same after they studied this book. This book of Romans. Friends, these are just a few of the men who led great spiritual movements of God in our country and left their mark in world history. But I have to ask you, everyone has a copy of this book in their homes or with you today. Are these just words on a page? Or are these God's words on a page? You see, how you view this book is going to determine how this book changes your life. If you realize that the Holy Bible is the Word of God in print and you believe that it is such, when you read it and you apply it, guess what's going to happen? Change. 
things that going to be a difference. Amen. So are they words on a page or are they God's words on a page? What about you? Could you use a little change in your life? As we begin, friends, I pray that God will give you the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the heart to receive what God has for you and what God has for me in this study of Romans. Who knows? Maybe you then will be the next one so changed that you will leave your mark on the history of the world. We begin by looking at a man. A man who was changed to his core. Utterly and completely changed by his experience and his chance meeting with the resurrected Lord Jesus. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1 verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles with you today, the Bible's in front of you, page 999. Amen. Uh, page 999 in the Bible's in front of you. I want you to see this for yourself because this is not just words on a page. This is God's words on a page. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we, say we, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, as Paul writes this letter to the believers and the followers of Jesus Christ who are in the city of Rome, he begins by discussing himself and his ministry, but then he also sheds a lot of light on our mission as we go through our lives. So as we begin, let's see how you and I can emulate this saint of God. First and foremost, the saint of God is a faithful messenger. In verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. As Paul begins, he doesn't start by bragging. Amen? He don't start by telling everybody that he's all that. He don't start by boasting of how awesome he is. Listen to how he starts. He begins by writing about the condition of God's messenger. Paul proclaimed himself there to be a bond servant, or in some translations, a bond slave. And according to the Old Testament law of the bond slave, a slave could refuse his freedom 
and choose to remain with his master forever. Friend, let me ask you this question. Have you, do you choose to refuse your freedom so that you can choose to be with Jesus forever? This is a lesson that a lot of Christians these days need to learn because they may have chosen the freedom, but they haven't chosen to remain with the, with the Lord Jesus forever. Most Christians feel like they're in control of their lives. Ever seen any of those? Hey, I saw one in the mirror this morning. Amen? Thought I was in control of my life. Yeah, right. Some people think that they're in control of their lives. Others think that they have the right to do what they want to do. They have the right to do as they please. Some Christians believe that they make their own decisions. But let me tell you something, friend. You've got to remember that when you were saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you became his bond servant. You chose to become his bond slave. He's the one that bought you. He's the one that paid for you. And he owns you if you belong to Jesus Christ. He began by writing of the condition. Paul knew he wasn't all that. Paul knew that he was nothing more than a bond servant. But Paul continues by writing about the calling, not only the condition, but the calling of God's messenger. You see, not only was Paul a slave to a new master, Paul sensed God called him to be an apostle. Now you need to know what that word apostle means. Apostle simply is an ambassador. Literally, it's sent one, one who is sent, an ambassador. Ambassadors have all the authority that the country that sends them gives them. An ambassador has all the authority of the king wherever they may go. So friend, listen here. Paul was no exception. He was an ambassador. He served as a representative of Jesus. He served as a representative of heaven. When Paul spoke, guess who he spoke for? He spoke for the Lord. When Paul acted, guess who he was acting as? He was acting as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean for you and me? Friend, listen here. God picks you, God places you, and God calls you just like he did Paul. The same way. And he places us in his kingdom when he wants and where he wants. You are here because God placed you here. You are in this place because God wanted you to be in this place. Now listen, you ain't no apostle, amen? I ain't no apostle either. But listen what we are. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of heaven. We are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has called you and I to be spokespersons to the lost and dying world we live in. Just like salt in a bland world. We are called to flavor people's lives with the glory of God. We are called to create in them a thirst for the things of God. As you look in your life, are you doing that in this lost and dying world we live in? Are you fulfilling your calling? But not only is God's messenger the condition of a bondservant, and not only is his or her calling that of an apostle or an ambassador 
of heaven. Paul continues writing about the commission. How does he go about being God's messenger? We have to look at that word. Paul also says that he was separated. He was separated to the gospel of God. Now, what in the world does that mean? Separated. There's some great blessings contained in that little phrase, separated unto the gospel of God. That word separated carries with it the idea of being set apart from that which you serve. Set apart. Paul is telling us that once he drew that line in the sand, once he realized that Jesus had set him apart, there wasn't no going back. That once and for all, he belonged to Christ. That once and for all, nothing else mattered but the glory of God. Nothing else mattered but the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was all that he was about. So many people are concerned with being separated from the world. And on the surface, that looks like a pretty good idea to be separated from the world. They say, you got to stop doing this. And you got to stop doing that. And man, you can't do that. And man, you better be doing this. But listen, I think that they're missing the boat. I think they're missing the boat. Their world doesn't revolve around what they can and cannot do. Our job is to separate, not from the world, separate unto Jesus Christ. And when that occurs, when you separate to Jesus, you automatically separate from the world. When you're walking with Jesus, you're automatically walking away from the world. The two cannot live together. If I'm living in one area, it's impossible for me to dwell over yonder. Amen? I can't live in both places at the same time. So if I really want to be separate from the world, the secret lies in totally devoting my life to Jesus Christ. And when I do that, friend, when I live to please him, I ain't going to have no trouble with the world. It'll be all about Jesus. But notice what Paul says he separated to. He separated to the gospel of God. Paul's commission, Paul's orders from headquarters, if you will, was to carry the good news of Jesus and him crucified and resurrected to a lost and dying world. And we are the messengers of that same gospel in this present day. That's what we have been called to do. That is your commission as a believer. That is what you're supposed to do as God's messenger. So let me ask you this question. How are we doing? How are we doing in getting the gospel of God to those who really need it? Only you can answer that question. But the result of your answer is probably going to be the same as it was for me. And that is... I can do a whole lot better than what I've been doing. As we continue, we find not only is the saint of God a faithful messenger, we also see that the saint of God has a factual message. 
After Paul came to Jesus, his whole life was different. After Paul came to Jesus, his whole ministry was different because he was a religious person. But his whole ministry changed. After Paul came to Christ, his total message was different. It centered any, all and together on the truth, the facts of Jesus Christ. He wanted people to know that Jesus was the promised one. Look there in verse 2. Which he, God, promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The life-saving good news of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus was not some lofty afterthought of God. The gospel was not some new thing. The good news that Jesus would come and save humanity was older than humanity itself. It had been around long before human beings were born. God had promised throughout the ages that his son was going to come and that he was going to die on the cross for one reason, to pay the price for the sins of humanity. Jesus is the promised one. But Paul also wanted them to know that Jesus is the powerful one. Look in verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Paul's factual message, friend, was much more than just a recollection of Old Testament prophecies. It was a lot more than that. The gospel of God has a lot to say about the power of Jesus Christ and about the position of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was no ordinary man. If you didn't know that already, Jesus was the very son of God. Now, I don't understand the mechanics of it all. But God, the Father, took a virgin named Mary and caused her to conceive without a human partner. Go figure. The child she carried in her womb was none other than the second person of the Holy Trinity of God, Jesus Christ. How God could robe himself, if you will, robe himself in human flesh is beyond my imagination. There ain't no way I can wrap my mind around that. That's exactly what he did. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is the God-man. And in those verses I just shared, I noticed that the Bible gives us the credentials of Jesus. He began by giving the human credentials in verse 3. He said that Jesus had come from a kingly line of King David. And so he's qualified to sit on the throne as the king of the Jews. But more importantly than that, he also gave his heavenly credentials. Praise God. Paul gives us two proofs right there that Jesus is who he said he is. That Jesus is the Son of God. The first proof being his righteousness. Jesus lived his life by doing what we are expected to do. Jesus yielded totally to the spirit of holiness. Jesus didn't do nothing unless it was spirit-inspired. Jesus only did that that a spirit-filled man would do. He lived a righteous life by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And listen here, friends. We can too. 
We can do it if, say if, if we will yield to the Spirit of God who resides in us. The only time we flop, the only time we blow it, is when we live in the flesh. If we, ever, if we live in the Spirit all the time, in the Spirit of holiness, we ain't got a single thing to worry about. But the minute we quit yielding to the flesh and we start or yielding to the Spirit and walking in the flesh, that's when we blow it. That's when we blow it as husbands and wives. That's when we blow it as parents. That's when we blow it as Christians. That's when we blow it as brothers and sisters in Christ. The minute we step out of yielding to the Spirit of God, the Spirit of holiness. Jesus was perfectly holy, and he walked in that holiness. But that's only the first proof. His righteousness was just the first proof. The second proof was his resurrection. Ain't nobody ever come back from death before. No one, there can only be one who could possibly do that. Just as his, or his righteous life proved his heavenly origin, so does Jesus' resurrection. You see, death never had a hold on Jesus. Jesus only submitted to death for you and me. But we know that Jesus crushed death. And there was only one that was, had the power and the ability to do that. And that is God himself. So Paul's factual message declared that Jesus was the promised one, that he was the powerful one. But I noticed also that Jesus was the performing one. Look what he did in verse 5. Through him, we, I like that. That includes me, amen. That includes you. Through him, we have received grace, I like that, and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his Name. Paul wants to share just one more thought before he moves on. And he tells us that we have received two things. Special notice on that we. That's very, very important because that includes you. We have received God's grace. We have received the unmerited, undeserved, unwarranted love and favor of God our creator. As raunchy old sinners. Amen. And that's all of us. There are none righteous, no, not one. And whatever righteousness you think you've got, it's like an old filthy rag. There are none righteous. And we've received grace. And through God's grace, we are saved and granted eternal life. But there's more than that. We also receive gifts. Notice what he said. He said, we have received apostleship. Again, we're not made apostles in the, in the office sense of the word, but we have been gifted to work as ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere you go, whether you're at Walmart, Foodland, Fish Krill, or anywhere else on this planet, you are walking around as an ambassador of heaven. Like it or not, you are a representative of Jesus Christ. How you doing? How are you doing in that high and holy calling? We've received that gift. We've been drafted, if you will, drafted to participate in his mission. Friends, have you received God's grace? Have you received God's gift? See, the saint of God is a faithful messenger 
with a factual message, a message that is only truth. But the saint of God also has a focused ministry. Take a peek, verse 6. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a focused ministry. So Paul turns away from talking about himself. He turns away from talking about his old ministry. And he starts talking to the people he's writing to. He starts talking to the followers of Jesus Christ in the church, just like here, in the church at Rome. And through the Holy Spirit, he's also talking to me and you. He tells us three great things we need to know here. Three things. First of all, that not only they, but we are called to be saved. Did you catch it? Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. See, we share the greatest honor that has ever been given to men and women. We have received the sovereign call of God to be saved. Do you know that not even angels in heaven can be saved? You say, well, maybe they don't need to be saved. Well, a third of them fell. Amen? They'd love to be in your shoes. They'd love to be redeemed and loved like God loves us. But they were... They have received the call of God to be saved. And I want you to know that man in his natural state is absolutely dead. Dead in trespasses. Dead in sins. But when that man, when that woman, when that child comes to his or her senses and realizes that they are a lost sinner, when they believe that Jesus paid the price for their sins, when they humble themselves and place all their faith and all their trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation, then, then and only then can they be miraculously and gloriously saved. Praise God. I pray you have been responding to that call to be saved. But they also, and we also, are called to be sons. Take a peek. Verse 7. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God. Now, we all know that God loves all people, don't we? He loves all of his creation, whether they're saints or whether they're sinners. Are we still on the same page? Still in agreement? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes. Amen? So God loves all of mankind. So what does Paul mean when he calls these believers the beloved of God? What's he talking about there if God loves everybody? Well, he means the same thing we mean when we talk of love. Consider this. By the grace of God, it is possible for you and for me to love all men and women on the planet. Amen? It's possible. It's difficult. Amen? But it's possible. However, I want you to know that there are about a hundred or so people in the family here at Bethel that are especially close to my heart. And there are three in particular in my home that are really, really close to my heart. But I still love all men. I still love all people. 
Do you get the picture? I love all men, but those in my family, man, they're beloved to me. Do you see the difference? God loves all men. But man, those in the family of God, those who are in the beloved of God, man, they have a special place in the heart of God. And that, that is a place that no one else on the planet has. You are the beloved of God. You are special. You have responded to his outpouring of grace. You've responded to his love. You've humbled yourself and come before him and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't do anything about my own salvation. I have no hope of heaven without you. You've responded to that. And God holds you close to his heart because of that. But not only are they and we called to be saved and called to be sons, did you see there in verse 7 at the end there where it says you're also called to be saints? Look there in the end of verse 7. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. These Roman Christians and you Bethelonians, we Bethelonians, are called to be saints. Both they and we are called to live lives separated, sold out to Jesus Christ. They and we are called to be different from the people we work with. We're called to be different from the people that are around us. We're called to be different from those who don't yet know the Lord. We are to be light into their dark world. We're going to be salt into their bland lives. See, God has the same expectations for you that he had for these Roman believers. That you make a difference. That you are different. That you are separated and set apart. That you are close to his heart and you're different from the world. His plan, God's plan, is that we are different than others who live around us. See, God wants his children, God wants his family living like him, not living like the world. That word saint, strong word, set apart. Holy, sanctified, totally set apart, totally dedicated to the Lord's service. Friend, are you? You're called to be a saint, but are you? If you didn't know it before, you know it now that that is exactly what God calls us to be. He expects us to be a saint. He didn't save your soul so that you could go around and serve the devil. He didn't save your soul so that you could go around and serve the world. He didn't save your soul so that you could do what you wanted to do. He didn't save your soul so that you could yield to the flesh every time that you're tempted. He saved us so that we might be vessels of honor glorifying him and magnifying our Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's your question. You ready? Say amen. Are you living like saints? How do I know, Bill? 
The saints of God are faithful messengers with a factual message and a focused ministry devoted to serving their God. Paul finishes up that section by praying that all saints would receive the grace of God. That all saints would receive peace as they dedicate their lives to God and their Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that this week, no, I've been working on this message for three weeks now. For three weeks, I've been praying the same prayer for you. That you would have the grace and the peace and the wherewithal to yield yourself to the glory of God so that he could use you mightily for the kingdom of heaven? I've been praying that for you. I've also been praying it for me. See, friend, I don't know where you stand with the Lord today, but I do know if there are problems in your life that you need help with, the help you're seeking is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I do know that if you are lost, Jesus will save you. I do know that if you are walking outside of the will of God, our Father will receive you again like this, and He will forgive your sin. I know that. How do you know, Bill? If there is a need upon any heart this morning, I want to encourage you this morning to bring it to the Lord today. Whatever the need may be. You're not going to make it public. But you need to bring that before God today. If the Lord has spoke to you in, in some manner through His powerful words on pages, I pray that you would come before Him and Allow him to do the work in your life to change you like he did those men of old that did great spiritual moves in this country for God. I just pray that you will do what the Lord is leading you to do. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for giving us the power to be a faithful messenger. Thank you for granting us a factual message about the truth of Jesus Christ and blessing us 